Hoş geldiniz. Welcome. Bienvenidos. Merhaba. Hello to you. Welcome to the Join Core podcast. This is uh, podcast number nine. How are you? Are you well? Are you good? Are you happy? I feel happy this week. I had moments of happy realizing. I don't know if this is something you will have experienced, but moments where you almost surprise yourself by thinking, actually everything's everything's pretty good. I'm I'm okay. I'm happy. Ah, that's nice. You know, it's kind of like you catch yourself by surprise. There's um a parable I remember coming across in a place in a book probably, um, and it I have a feeling it was a <clears throat> a Taoist parable or a Zen Buddhist parable, and it was a teacher who was gathered with their students and they said unto the students what in this moment is lacking the idea being that there ain't nothing lacking there's nothing lacking everything's grand the present moment just is and you shouldn't always be seeking to add to it or be worried about what's missing we are very we tend to be, and we are encouraged to be very materialistic. We want our happiness to be evidenced by success or by possession. So we end up pursuing happiness. Whereas we could maybe just step back and empty our minds and go with the flow and realize that things are okay in that moment. It's a nice, it's a nice way. It's very much what we talked about before in our Taoism podcast in our Doing Nothing podcast so uh, please go back and check them out if you haven't if it's your first podcast then you're, you're, you're very extremely welcome everyone is very extremely welcome but it's super exciting if there are new people listening every time and if you are continuing to listen thank you as well that's so cool that you are enjoying this enough to uh, stick with me through all of the meandering topics that we are ending up with. I don't have a very certain plan, you will be aware if you've been with us from the beginning. Things are changing, We've, you may notice we've just had the piano for the last couple of podcasts because the idea of experimenting with the sound bed has been kind of waylaid. Um, but we do have a live studio fire. Um, welcome live studio fire. It's nice to have you with us. I've directed the microphone so you should be able to hear it in the background. <clears throat> uh, so that's good. That's a nice cozy wintry feeling from the fire. I'm certainly appreciating it here, especially as I forgot to boil the water in the kettle, so I have a cold cup of tea. But it's grand, like I said, it's a happy week, everything's good. We already recorded this podcast once, 
and then we had that familiar moment now of no we can make it better so we're gonna make it better and haven't it generates this excitement in me to give you the best drawing core creation that I can so please enjoy we're gonna be talking about a couple of things this week the first is a Netflix series called Living With Yourself and the second is a hardcore techno as promised for a few weeks and we're also going to be talking about Mad Max Fury Road uh, in relation to hardcore techno which I know sounds shockingly unexpected but you'll just have to wait until we get around to it and then you'll find out what the crack is look at that teasing the podcast within the podcast you know hey you know friends don't don't just switch off halfway through you, you wait there's, 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 there's good things are coming in the next half an hour but I, I got a little bit sidetracked by the other thing I wanted to talk about in fact so yesterday I watched the first three episodes and six minutes of episode four for whatever reason I watched six minutes of it of this new Netflix series called Living With Yourself and I'm quite interested in time to time trying to engage with very contemporary culture like culture that is very very new so Living With Yourself came out I think five days ago on the 18th of October came onto Netflix so it is very new there may be some people who are listening who have seen it uh, or maybe who have just seen it there because Netflix kind of throws it up in your face on the on the first screen when you log in which is how I ended up watching it but you may also uh, see it in the coming days and I wanted to make some observations to we talked about this kind of last week with dead man like there are some ways to approach films and there are some conversations to have around films which I think are quite important to have uh, important approaches and not maybe often explored that much we, we sort of reduce our reviews of films to good bad score out of 10 it's not dissimilar with uh, Netflix series and Netflix series are, have another like increased throwaway uh, disposable nature to them because you don't invest specifically in any one Netflix series you have Netflix and then things come to you and then they go and then a new thing comes to you and it's constant it's never ending so things as individual let's say possessions of the consumer are devalued so what's interesting about this Netflix series well it is a comedy drama uh, I can tell you it's um, description on is this from Wikipedia? It's from Google anyway. A man. Maybe I can read it in a <clears throat> in a voice. A man 
who is burned out on life and love undergoes a mysterious treatment only to discover that he has been replaced by a better version of himself. It's, 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 it's absolutely nothing. Uh, that voice gives a completely different wrong uh, impression of the series, but uh, it was fun to do regardless. So it's comedy, drama. Um, Paul Rudd is the, the star. Well, he, he's actually both stars because he plays himself and a better version of himself. And I am going to spoil this a little bit. Not to the extent that I think it will ruin your enjoyment of the series if you haven't already watched it. But I also don't especially recommend this series. I think there are wonderful things you can spend your time watching that not so many people do. Like Treme, for example, like Six Feet Under. I was recently recommended Vida. I'm, I'm quite confident in this recommendation. Vida. Uh, what else? What else? Watch some kid stuff. Watch Avatar The Last Airbender. Watch Steven Universe. There's countless really great things to discover and dig on out there. And you only have to spend some time reading about uh, series and films. And I don't need to tell you all this anyway. You're going to watch whatever you watch. Um, digressing but I wouldn't necessarily recommend this and I will tell you for why but spoiler alert he, he's a clone he clones himself it's not that much of a spoiler to be fair but that's your main spoiler Paul Rudd clones himself into a better version of himself so his, his DNA is enhanced and normally what would happen is that the old Paul Rudd would be killed but a mistake happens in the process and it there ends up being two of them a kind of loser Paul Rudd and a enhanced Paul Rudd and one of the things that's interesting about Netflix is because you are encouraged to binge watch you know the first day all of the episodes are released so you can just sit down and watch the whole series in one go as opposed to waiting week by week. <clears throat> it changes the perception, or maybe not perception, it changes how you can, how series creators can play with time. Because most um, comedies and dramas, and also especially procedural dramas like um, Law and Order, or like any police show, they uh, the status quo, as it were, resets at the end of every episode. So when you get the new episode, you're back where you were on kind of normal day, and then each episode has a new plot intervention. Something happens, a new case to solve. A new ridiculous thing happens, a new character is introduced, whatever. It helps create a rhythm, a routine, you know what you're getting in for, you create a familiarity and an endearment between the, the viewers and the cast of characters and the, the show itself. 
So you know Simpsons or Family Guy, they, they main for South Park. They do draw attention to this. And Friends, Friends, each episode is called the one with the whatever. And this is this is like a small, you know, slightly funny reference to the fact that each episode has its thing and you more or less know what you're getting with friends even though there is you know overarching plot development but what happens with a netflix series that you can stream just all the way through the, the creators can more or less make a very very long film and they don't necessarily have to hit their beats on the end of the episodes i mean they still do to an extent but you can just close Netflix at any point and open it up again and it'll take you back to wherever you were. So for example, Fargo, which is um, how many years old now? Maybe it's two years old, maybe it's 2017, I'm not sure. But the Fargo series on Netflix, what, like episode seven or something of the first series, there is a, a year passes, jumps, time jumps forward one year. And rather than happen at the end of an episode, like towards the end of an episode, which would probably be the usual thing if, if a series is going to do that, it happens mid-episode, and it it creates this this strange feeling of time and pacing when you're watching it. So you really don't necessarily know you're in the middle of an episode, or you feel like I think maybe there's a sense there's a, there's a Part of this is encouraging you to just watch all and everything and binge watch, continue to watch. That's ultimately what I think the they, the, net, the Netflix wants. The Netflix wants you to just watch forever and ever and ever and ever. And it will allow you to do that. So living with yourself, it, it does this, right? It plays with time and it's interesting for it for the most part so for example it, it flips the, per, the perspective in the first episode as you might expect you're following the old Paul Rudd the original Paul Rudd who goes to be cloned but in the second episode the perspective is flipped to the clone the clones perspective is what you get and interestingly, quite a lot of effort is expended to make you empathise with this clone. The clone is treated like an other. The clone is othered and you are, you are shown how unfairly disadvantaged this clone is because they are sort of robbed of their own existence. They have these memories transplanted, but they realise that they're not in fact real, they're not really theirs, they, they are a new creation, and, and yet they remember their whole lives and they share the same feelings towards Paul Rudd's uh, wife and friends and work and everything, and home. <coughs> and I, I, I was surprised by how much we were brought to a point of feeling that sort of self-alienation or that, that 
that alienation and that self-doubt and that derealization, not knowing who you are. I mean, that's serious. That's a serious mental health issue, right? And you put this clone in that position, and you tell the story from that othered perspective. It's it's interesting. And the first episode and the second episode, because of this, are so different. So there isn't this reset. It's like a continuous story, and it's it skews at that point. Later on, it skews because you expect there'll be a continuous narrative of we need to stop people finding out that there are two of us. But then one of the other main supporting characters finds out, and you're like, oh fuck. That's going to change everything. On the other hand, another supporting character finds out at another point in the series, but because of this, this the pacing is kind of rushed because it's going through all of these different motions. That character, when we learn that they know about the clone pool, it's a very very disappointing it's, it's just it's just boring Yanni. like it doesn't have any impact because you haven't met the character before it's it's Paul Rudd's sister but she doesn't really care that much and it's a bit confusing at first if she knows or not and there is no there is no beat there is no build up so this more open pacing of a kind of continuous long long film that can be made out of all of these episodes joined together because you know right if you if you have Netflix you know like the next episode will play automatically before you've had half the credits of the previous episode within 10 seconds you'll be already on the next one it really pushes you to keep watching so I, I just I just wanted to bring this up because it's an interesting use of pacing and it's because of the changing industry of how we view uh, visual media yeah, video media and it allows different things to happen yeah, like Sense8 did this quite interestingly the way that the emotional arcs of the series built and crashed down again was not necessarily dependent on when the episode finished so they could spend more time on certain things than you might usually expect and it fed very well into that story because the idea of Sense8 being that the eight main characters are connected telepathically their worlds blur into each other so you get this sense of time and space blurring into each other if you end up watching you know more than one episode in a row of sensei but it's it's still i think a a new medium discovering itself and i'm not so positive in my in my interest in netflix is not 
it's not entirely positive. Maybe that's another podcast. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, living with yourself, the Netflix series has an unfortunately simplistic take on biogenetics, which is that our DNA fixes who we are. The old Paul Rudd is definitely a loser. The new Paul Rudd is definitely superior. Now, I haven't watched all the series. Maybe that changes. But this is the assumptions that are underlying for those first three and a half episodes. Three, three episodes and six minutes. And I find that problematic. When we talked about queering things, altering perspectives, having these radical recontextualizing of of like going to the roots of something and radically recontextualizing it. This is very invigorating, partly because it reflects our experience, I believe. Like, life is not fixed. It's comforting to feel like things are fixed. But in reality, you know, the, the physical makeup of our brains changes during our life depending on our environment and our um, what we are you know, exposed to, what experiences we go through. So the idea of being able to determine whether something is your nature, your fixed gene makeup, or nurture the result of external factors. Now we can't we can't necessarily determine that. And as I understand neuro- neuroscience, neurology, the study of the brain, don't really fucking know what is the difference between nature and nurture and can't really determine what is what. So the idea of your DNA fixing you in in such a fierce way as is shown in this series, I think is bollocks. I think I think that's wrong. I ain't a neuroscientist. Um, that that feels like it should be a name of a song. I ain't no neuroscientist, but and there'd be a kind of funky riff, a bit jazzy. We'd have to have a kind of like solely singer with a big voice not like me if anyone wants to pick that up I ain't no neuroscientist that's yours use it run with it make your own thing make your make your response to living with yourself the Netflix series and you tell them how the world is even though you ain't no neuroscientist So, um, so let's have a, a, a short interval here. Hope you enjoyed the short interval. Uh, I've, not, I've not done a podcast with kind of two topics in it before. It feels a bit strange. But they're not unconnected. But living with yourself was certainly a, a distraction, both in my life and therefore podcast planning, and also a little bit of a digression in this podcast what I wanted to talk to you about was hardcore techno 
I wanted to start to explore why it's interesting. I don't want to kind of try and cover this whole musical topic in one go, but I want to start taking chunks um, and I want to start scratching at it because there are lots of, there's, there's a rich, there's a wealth of fucking music that I have and, and I, I'm passionate about and I'm interested in and I, I know a little bit about that we can continue to share with each other. As you've noticed, I get very easily distracted from one kind of music and that's especially how my life is at the moment. But regardless, I think I will come back several times to this kind of music in this or that way. So we're sort of starting to explore it, Yanni. So maybe maybe we should uh, try and give an idea of what is hardcore techno. I didn't prepare this, so I don't have my um, don't have a plan of how to explain it. But <clears throat> we're looking at. Uh, repetitive electronic music that uses drum breaks, so like se uh, s uh, sequences of drums repeated. And hardcore techno is faster and <clears throat> it has many different kinds under its umbrella. Yeah, any, any kind of fast electronic music which uses a lot of drums we can think is hardcore techno. I'm trying to keep this a very vague definition deliberately because fixing definitions is not what this podcast is about and as I just said, I don't think reflects the reality of the situation. All kinds of people call their music all kinds of things. I'm using hardcore techno because it seems to me the, the least committed, like I'm not committing to nothing particular by using that term. Techno is a huge broad church of electronic samples, you know, sample based music. Electronic music is sample based because it's, the sounds have been recorded and then samples and then you use them again. And hardcore techno is just that faster kind of techno, the more hardcore of the techno. And that's specifically what I know about and what I'm interested in and what I've, what I have shared with you. So, uh, what have I shared with you? I've shared <coughs> uh, New Dawn by Harry Potter and Aquaria Tech by Kiri Forky. And both of these two songs, I wanted to show you how we've got um, an, an emotional layer on top of our drums, on top of our bang bang bang. To give to give a sense of the potential depth and the potential range of emotion that can be layered onto those beats. Because the 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 the, the common factor, right, is, is the beats, is the drums and especially with hardcore techno, tends to be kicks. Um, we're not really talking about drum and bass or jungle music, which is very similar in terms of its speed and in terms of its use of drum breaks, but 
sampled electronic drum breaks but it's just missing a repetitive kick repetitive kick drum <clears throat> so we've got that bang 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 underneath all of these songs and that's our bass level and we could talk about how that grants a kind of physical release or an exhilaration especially as it's a sped up and it's louder and it's more aggressive and there is interesting conversation to have maybe about the nature of that aggression and what it means and the nature of that physical release and there's also a, a connection to tribal drumming which is yani in in different traditions consciousness is changed or uh, is altered in some way by doing ritualistic type drumming repetitive drumming and and dance as well and many different traditions like incorporate drums and dance and repetition and, and uh, maybe fast beats and we could talk about that but I wanted specifically to talk about sampling from other cultures other other mediums sorry so the other songs that I shared with you were Werewolves Not Swearwolves, Spongebob Square Waves um, uh, Ain't Over Till The Fat Lady Turns To Pixels and Brexit Wankers. They're all doing very similar things and we will we will definitely be looking at uh, Gabba Disco at some point which will add to this. So Gabba Disco uses a lot of uh, disco and pop and hip-hop and famous cheesy songs and it layers them on top of the beats Spongebob Squarewave does a similar thing layered in a different way so you've heard a little bit like that using slightly cheesy songs from other genres Werewolves Not Swearwolves uses samples from film as well as from other genres of music Brexit Wankers uses samples from speakers all about politics. Uh, so Brexit is the shame. Uh, Britain leaving the United the European Union, which has been a, a whole long process and it's very popular news topic in Britain and people are angry and bored and frustrated and confused and the whole system is, uh, is pretty much failing to deal with this issue for a long time and um, the uh, expression by Dirty Chronic is this crazy breakcore hardcore techno medley of um, it samples should I stay or should I go but it also samples um, many different speakers shouting and being angry and crazy fast chaotic drumming and so you get that feeling of chaos and frustration and anger and ridiculousness which is which has has become this uh, this brexit thing so what you're seeing is um samples recontextualized taken from where they originally existed and layered into something new and therefore different meaning or or different commentary is uh, produced 
So, the thing that I was most excited about when I learned literature, when I studied literature, was the idea that all of the content is just repeated recontextualization. All, all art, especially I was looking to fantasy uh, literature at the time, but all art really is just reusing and transforming and recontextualizing things that happened before, sometimes directly, as in using the same thing again, but in a new way. Or sometimes subliminally, subconsciously, you are influenced by something. And I think this is a really fascinating aspect of art in general, because you can creatively explore histories of one or of many pieces of art. You can say, okay, this uh, was influenced by this and it kind of came from this tradition. And actually, if you think about it, that's a lot like this, this tradition before that. Or you can say, ah, oh, there's this image in here. And that's the same image that was used fucking 500 years ago in this poem. So if we think about it in that context and it takes on a different meaning, you would know this if um, perhaps, <clears throat> perhaps something in a movie reminds you of a song that you know. And regardless of whether there was meant to be that connection or whether that connection means anything to anybody else, you might find yourself making new commentary or making new meaning because you've made a connection between two disparate art forms, two disparate mediums, or even in the same medium, but you've just made a connection between two different things and you start to build um, a deeper picture So when I did my poetry film review last podcast of Dead Man, I was taking film into poetry and I was very much recontextualizing some of the things that are in the film almost directly and transforming them by asking questions about them or by wondering about them. I like the fact that as well as tracing histories, we can also create more history beyond the piece of art. So after Dead Man, Dead, Dead Man is a finished film. It came out, it's over. Jim Jarmusch moved on to other shit. But the life of that piece of art continues if I make a, another piece of art about it. Even when people are talking about it, you know, or writing their reviews, even when they are just out of 10 scores, it's a good film or a bad film it's still that recontextualizing of the same thing it, it's producing more meaning it's producing more commentary so this is why i think sampling is super interesting and when you're talking about hardcore techno with this repetitive bang 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 kick drum it's very blunt it's kind of brutal it's stark it's in, it's almost always ridiculous in a sense because that kind of banging sound usually doesn't have so much 
direct relevance to whatever you're sampling. If you catch my drift, then maybe there's an analogous reference. Um, but that bang, bang, bang music is in its own kind of space. So when you bring in, if you imagine listening to that and the sample from your favorite film comes in, it would just be a little bit ridiculous. But the more interesting uses of this, like Brexit wankers, it, it, it develops this, it's layered in such a way. Obviously it works musically, you know, the, the um, samples are used to build the musical journey, but also they're used in a way where they clash and create chaos and the samples that are picked out are chosen for a particular reason and when they are put next to other samples that are chosen for from for, for another particular reason yeah again you're building new connections you're building a deeper picture i think this is like collage so like you're really collaging to shit the things that you pick up you're really going for it and chucking things together because this music is so much like that so much energy no matter what's going on you kind of have this mad rush of things which is again like some could be inherently ridiculous i have done this with a film mad max fury road so this is the song that we're gonna i'm gonna share with you today it's, it's a song that i made and uh, in fact it's a song that the uh, unofficial associated uh, resident by default DJ has made called Tilky Tech. Check out Tilky Tech. Um, specifically, check out the song. Well, I'm gonna show it to you anyway. You don't need to make any effort to check it out apart from don't turn off the podcast. Um, but th the song I'm gonna share is called The Green Place by Tilky Tech. And it will spoil Mad Max Fury Road for you. Which again, I'm not sure will ruin your enjoyment of the film, especially because it's you're going to be listening to those samples in a new medium, which does sort of alienate them from their source um, until you've watched the film, and then you then there's the inverse of that where you have a kind of that feeling of satisfaction where you know the source, and then you can you can maybe enjoy even more the recontextualization. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the film and then we're gonna get straight into the song. And you can see, you can make up your mind what you think about this recontextualization. If, if it tells you something about the film, if it tells you something new about the film, if it makes you wanna watch the film, if you haven't, if it makes you think again about the film, if you have watched it before. So Fury Road is the fourth Mad Max film and the original three were made quite a while ago by George George Miller, I think it is. Um, and they're film, films that were produced in Australia. The first is a, let's say, slightly more conventional action movie. It plays the game of creating the character who goes through this kind of redemptive plot arc and the world comes to shit and he has to try and save whatever parts of the world he can da, da, da. go and check it out it's not 
not a bad old uh, classic action film. The second movie is much more stripped back. And this is really uh, more relevant to the new Mad Max. Some action films are stripped back to their action. And usually there is a point to this. Uh, there can be, there's, there's very shallow action movies that there might not be so much point to it. But uh, my, a couple of examples I would give are the movies Crank and Crank 2 which are kind of comedy action movies which are a homage to video games and the adrenaline pumping plots of both films um, they, are, they are literally about adrenaline pumping by the way um, they are referencing all sorts of uh, tropes of video games and they are having this big joke of how far can you push the action in an action movie? I think very interesting. If you're interested in action movies, Crank is probably maybe one of the one of the only uh, action movies that I still feel excited about. Um, I should explain. I I used to be much more excited about violent films. Uh, I used to not be so bothered by the violence in films. This has changed a lot for me in the last. I don't know, 10 years, slowly, um, and I'm in a very different place now to how I was when I first watched Crank, uh, and in, in fact from when I first watched Mad Max Fury Road, but violence in movies is another podcast probably. So uh, the other example I was going to give is um, Hardcore Henry, which is even more like it's not even really it's not even a homage it's not it's not themed in such a way but the action is stripped back to kind of the pure um choreography of it which is sometimes common in films i always used to think this about troy if you've seen troy it, obviously there is the iliad plot and it kind of hits the notes as far as i know even if a bit clumsily but the choreography or or the 300 300 is such an aesthetic film like it cares mostly about its aesthetic but Hardcore Henry is the one of those three that I would like most to point to um, it's, it's, it's a film that is in love with free running and the whole film is shot from a POV, uh, uh, POV point of view I was like what does POV stand for again point of view camera so like there's a GoPro or whatever attached to the actor's head and that's the whole film you see it from their eyes and uh, the choreography is insane and the free running is wow and it also has a uh, very thick sense of humour which is uh, self-referential again like Crank it kind of knows that what it's doing is playing with action movies so Mad Max Fury Road is a stripped back action film like those it's mainly action Mad Max 2, what Mad Max I think is most known for is its aesthetic again, but not not so much its 300 style choreography and palette, but more the aesthetic of post-apocalyptic wasteland. You've got bandits with dune buggies and dirt bikes and they're raiding each other and Mad Max is a kind of lone wolf survivor 
and there are these um, <coughs> uh, towns in these desert wastelands that are isolated and very vulnerable and obviously Max is encouraged to protect them despite his lone wolf shtick. So Fury Road uh, is, is, is fitting into this aesthetic quite smoothly and even more hyped up in certain ways. But what it does interesting in it, it being a stripped back action film is all to do with gender. And I, I'm, I'm getting this, like all of my ideas about this are drawn from a video essay by Innuendo Studios, to which there will be a link under this podcast. And I very much encourage you to watch this um, in, in any case. I think it's interesting, even if you don't care about the film. Um, <clears throat> it saves you having to watch the film. It is spoiler heavy. He also spoils a number of other films. Um, there is a warning at the beginning of the essay. But yeah, I, I, I'm not really so worried about spoilers. I filmed a small obligated to say in case some people are probably probably not people don't care that much probably I don't know so so all of my my I was re re-excited can we can I say that I was excited again my excitement was reignited by Innuendo Studios video essay and I don't want to take away um I don't want to take I don't want to speak for those videos. I really hope, I really encourage you to check them out. But um, they, the videos deal with uh, the most common codifications of feminine violence in action movies. And it identifies certain tropes, certain archetypal violent women characters, character types. And it's, uh, it, it explores how Fury Road either rejects or transforms each of those archetypes into something new and different and very much resisting falling into these <coughs> binary categorizations because it, we, we start with the idea that um, there is a connection between masculinity and violence uh, very much um, which action, which action films very much, uh, very much caught in. Traditionally, you know, historically, fucking, for so much, for so mon- for so long time, action movies have starred male heroes, and male heroes solve their problems with violence in action movies. That's kind of the deal with action movies. But in here, there, there. There's not really a clear distinction between masculine and feminine because there's a range of different characters and Mad Max, despite being the title character, is really, um, at best, the second main character. Uh, And Furiosa, uh, who is a woman, is the main character, arguably, but um, she is strongly, fiercely presented as more human than Max and sort of more present, even though Max is a kind of frame for us to get into the story and be like, hey, yeah, we're in a Mad Max film. Furiosa is, if you want, the main uh, 
personality in the film. But there are also there's also a range of personalities, and in fact, the um, the people who the characters who initiate the the whole plot of the film are characters who would be in another film helpless women. But there are no helpless women in uh, Fury Road. There are no passive characters. There are no rescued characters. And action movies have an awful um, attitude towards women, including using the suffering of women as a plot driver and objectifying women. Women are mainly there as sex objects in many, many action films. Many films, but let's stick to what we're talking about, Yanni. In Fury Road, violence is not something belonging to men. It's egalitarian. Women can own it. And them being on the same level with men is achieved by just assuming that you're going to give empathy and respect and you're going to understand the humanity of the women characters just as much as any other characters and unfortunately that's rare women are in action movies are not often given respect or humanity and in order to empathize with them there needs to be some suffering or there needs to be an element of being a mother for example and then we empathize with her because we have the idea of mother protecting child the characters in Fury Road they just have your empathy because they are people and that's in fact I think quite radical so last week we did a poetry film review this time we have transformed a film into a song into a hardcore techno tune. I'm also going to make a video for this using some footage from the movie. I think it will be good fun and I think maybe people will watch it and then I can direct them to here and then we can build more drawings. Um, so I will, I will for sure tell you about that when I've, when I've done it and, and whatever. But um, I've tried to bring in lots of the things that I just talked about from the film into the song and for fear of exposing too much of the film um, I will just play it now and you can see what you pick out from the samples um, the plot of the film is oof, yeah okay so um, there's a tyrant character who owns a citadel and he controls the water supply so everyone is in a very awful uh, life of, of disease and starvation, thirst, shitty life in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. This awful character controls the water and um, has an army of war boys and he has a number of women who he uses as breeders these women, the breeders, they escape and the tyrant chases after them. That's more or less what you need to know. The women are, the breeders are um, 
on their way to the green place of many mothers. Hence the title, The Green Place. So this is a song by Tilky Tech. Thank you very much for listening. It's a, quite a long podcast this week. I hope that you enjoyed it. Guzelba Kandene, Opurum Sizi. Take amazing care of yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Have good fun this week. Try and find those moments of just realizing that everything is okay. You're all good. Just relax.
Thanks. 